John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. To remind us of the context, Jesus is speaking here on the night before he is going to be betrayed. He's speaking to his disciples in chapters 13 and 14 in the upper room in Jerusalem. And they're in that room to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus is giving parting words to his disciples. And it is during this last supper that Jesus is telling his disciples, as he has been for some time, that he is about to leave them. It's during this supper that Judas is identified as the one who is going to betray Jesus, although none of the other ones except for perhaps John understands this at the time. Judas leaves and Jesus begins to address the 11 apostles who remain. And with Judas gone, Jesus begins to tell these ones who remain, who abide in him, these exceedingly precious promises the promise of the Holy Spirit that would soon be sent upon them that has been given to us, that would indwell them forever. The promise of the resurrection. Jesus says, you won't see me, but you will see me shortly. And because I live, you will live. And so the promise of resurrection, life after death, that, they, that Jesus would die, but they would see him again shortly. Then the promise of those Um, who love Jesus, that the Father would love them. And so the promise of the love, and that also wraps into the fact that Jesus said that those who love the Son, the Father would love, and and that the Father and the Son would come dwell within the heart of the believer. And so you have the, the precious promise of God dwelling in the heart of those who love Jesus Christ. And so although things looked bleak, When Jesus was about to leave them and be betrayed, Jesus promises the 11 that because of their love for them, that that there would be this lasting, eternal, abiding relationship with God in their hearts forever. And so in chapter 15, Jesus begins to describe that abiding relationship. He begins to describe it, and he uses the picture of a a vine with with branches and a gardener, which is the Father. And how we have our life in Christ as we are attached to Him. And if you think about it, uh, this abiding relationship is the perfect picture because that is the actual definition of a Christian. It is one in whom God dwells. The living God, the creator of the universe, dwells in a believer. And we have our life in Him. That's what a believer is. And that person, as they now have their very life in God, we experience God growing us and and leading us and changing us and forming within us the character of Christ. The chief one, the chief characteristic that comes out is love. Love for God. And our love for God is shown by our love for the Son, that we desire to hear what he says. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So we hear him and, and we seek to obey him and follow him as fallen as we are. We, there's a desire within us, birth within us to obey 
And this love for God is expressed in our obedience to the Son. And so, as born-again Christians, we have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Beautiful. And so Jesus says to his disciples, and by way of them to us here in John 15, he says in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. Stay in my love. If you were with us last week, you know that uh, Jesus was calling his disciples to abide, which means to remain, dwell. And you know the word abide is kind of like a boat. It means to make your house, make your home in God. That's what he's saying. Stay put. Stay in his love. That's what Jesus was commanding his disciples and us. And so this is so important to John as he is in that room hearing these words from Christ that he repeats it 11 times. The word love, just in this chapter, he repeats it 11 times. Uh, sorry, the word abide, he repeats it 11 times. And Jesus says here in verse 9, abide in my love, remain in my love. Well, wh- what does that mean? What is Jesus saying when he says abide in my love? We came to this abiding relationship with God the Father, through his love for us, demonstrated by him sending his son to die for rebellious people such as you and I. And he expressed his love for us in that his son was sacrificed on our behalf. And the Father's love for us, we come to know it by hearing the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us the gospel through the preaching of the the word. We hear of Jesus and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and he brings us to a place where we trust in him, where we believe that Jesus not only died for our sins to pay the price for the penalty of our sins so we can avoid judgment, but also that he rose again, that he has conquered death and through his life, we now are promised eternal life. And so when we believe the message and we put our our trust in Christ to save us from our sins through his death and his resurrection to give us new life, when we believe that new new good news, we were we were born again. We were born again spiritually. And God entered into our hearts. God dwells now in the hearts of a believer. And we are now those who love the Son. And Jesus says, stay. Don't leave that, that love, that first love. The way that we came to Christ by simple faith is, is the way that we stay in Christ. We turned away from the world and we turned towards God. And here's the appeal of Jesus, remain in my love, remaining this abiding relationship with me. Now, we know that it is God who saves us. I think it's really important to point out that we know it's God who saves us and he sustains us in salvation. And so we know that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. But at the same time, there's that tension in scriptures, which we spoke about last week, where where God nevertheless commands us to remain and to stay. He commands us to stay. And and true believers stay put. That's the point. True believers stay put. Peter said, where else can we go, Lord? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Peter knew this. There was nowhere else he could go. We're sticking with you through thick and thin. You have eternal life. So Jesus, here in John 15, he says, 
stay put. And then he tells his disciples in verse 10 what that looks like. He says, how do you stay put? He says, if you, com- if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. A a few things I want to point out here. The first thing is that the way that we abide, the way that we remain in God's love is by keeping his commandments. And Jesus gets real specific as to what that means. And that's very important. And the commandment that Jesus gives is that we love one another. Just look at verses 10 and 12. Verse 10 says, there's an if clause. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Well, what are those commands? He explains in verse 12. He says, in verse 12 says, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment. And so you have the, uh, the call to stay and to keep the command, and Jesus tells you what the commandment is, to abide by loving one another as I have loved you. And Jesus gives us that example of, of his love. In verse 10, Jesus said, it's just like I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. That's how you're to continue in our abiding relationship. We experience the love of the Father through the Son because He laid down His life for us. He kept the Father's commandments. And and so too, our love to God is manifested as we obey Jesus Christ in loving one another. It's very practical, and that's the key to keeping in step or to remaining in the love of God, that because He first loved us, we now love one another. I think we've heard that probably several times, but this is the This is the teaching here. Jesus kept his father's commands and remained in his love. And so we keep Jesus' commands and remain in his love. And I I want you kind of to to understand the idea of the commandments here. Because quite often we we go straight to uh, the Old Testament law and think that it's a legal relationship with God. It's it's not a legal relationship with God for us. It is a love relationship with God, and it is based on love And, and by the way, it's his definition of love, not ours. But if you look at Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, um, that the Ten Commandments are they're really summed up in two uh, major thoughts here. Uh, listen to what Jesus says. He's asked by someone, he says, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, what's the greatest command? And Jesus answers in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so with all your being, love God. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, Jesus says, is, is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are hung on these two commandments. In other words, this sums up the heart of what God is calling us to, to love Him with everything and to love one another. And that's the order it comes in. The Apostle Paul kind of said the same thing regarding the law and love fulfilling it in Romans 13, 8 through 10. When he exhorted the church in Rome, he said in verse 8, Owe no one to anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
And he goes on to explain what that means. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and, and any other commandments are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we look at the law, we go, okay, well, I'm just going to keep these commandments. And we realize as Christians that, that love actually fulfills those commandments because if you love God, you're going to want to keep uh, you're going to want to obey His commandments to love one another. And so you're not going to be lying to one another. You're not going to be cheating on one another. You're not going to be stealing. You're not going to be coveting because you love God and you love one another. See, love fulfills the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Paul says there in verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so just as Jesus um, loved the Father through obedience in loving us by laying His life down for us, so we show our love for God by obeying Jesus and laying our lives down for one another. And I, didn't, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've already read through the chapter, but I know that um, John mentions the word abide 11 times, but he, he mentions the word love here in this chapter 10 times. Very important. And, and, and he goes on to drive that home um, not only through the rest of John, but also through his letters, his epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but a lot in 1st John. Just, just check out these verses about uh, abiding in the love of God and, and, that, and that love is the determining factor of whether or not we are in Christ or not. It's the proof. He says in 1st John 2, 9 through 11, he says, whoever says he is in the light, that means he's a believer, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so there's that picture of darkness and light. You are either born again or you're not. And the believer who is born again will demonstrate that by the love they have for their fellow brother. 1 John 3.10, so a couple chapters in there. Uh, he says there in verse 10, he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God. You want to know if you're in or out? He says, And who are the children of the devil? Who pra- uh, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does the one who does not love his brother. And so love and acts of righteousness are evidence of that that we have an abiding relationship with God, that we're born again. A few verses later in verses 14 and 15, he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers or we love one another, right? Uh, Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so John has these stark contrasts so we get the idea. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, last example here. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so he kind of goes forward and backwards with all this, just so you know. Listen, if we're we're gods, we're going to love one another as Christ uh, loved us. 
and there are several more that John goes into, but those are just some so you get the idea about the commandment, the practical commandment that Jesus is talking about in loving one another. Um, another one in First John, he says, hey, listen, if you say that you love God and yet you see your brother or sister in need and you say, hey, go and have a great day and everything's good and you don't help them, that's a paraphrase, obviously. He says, don't be fooled. The love of God is not in you. And so the proof is in, is in the action, right? And so church, it's the proof that we're truly in the light, that we are Christians, that God truly indwells us, is that we love one another as we love ourselves, and we know that we don't have any problem loving ourselves. Uh, we get up in the morning, the first thing we usually take care of is, is us. And so the idea is that we love each other in that way. We think of others um, in the way that we love ourselves. The second thing I wanted to point out, it's kind of long here, but in those few verses here, in verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, the result of abiding in his love through obedience to Christ is that we experience the joy of God. We experience joy. In his love, we experience joy, and that's, a, that's amazing, an overflowing joy with the knowledge that we are in the love of God. You know, happiness is really, it's circumstantial. It, it, it's fleeting, and many of us have kind of experienced that um, in these past few weeks as, as, our, as our, happiness is a, our, our happiness has been encroached on as our, as our normal uh, routines are, have been disrupted with everything going on, and we're seeing suffering, and so there's just, you know, our, our, our happiness is just, it's circumstantial. It comes and goes. But the joy of God, the joy of God is not based upon circumstances. It's like the peace of God. It, it surpasses all understanding. It surpasses understanding, because it, it's rooted not in the temporal, but it's rooted in the eternal. It's rooted in Him, Joy for the believer is directly connected to our obedience to God. And I think that's something important to write down, that our joy is directly connected to our obedience to God. I think that's very important. His commandments are not burdensome for us, and we know that. The scriptures say that. And so, it's, I kind of picture it like this. My son and my daughter are are my son and my daughter. They are always going to be my son and my daughter. They are positionally my son and my daughter. But the degree to which they have joy around me is the degree to which they obey me as little kids, when they were, when they were little kids especially, right? And so when they, when they, when they are obedient, uh, and generally my, my desire is that they would love their mom and they would love one another, that's, that's my heart for them, and they would reflect the Lord, that as they were obedient, there would be joy. But the degree of their disobedience, there was a lack of joy in our house and a lack of joy in their hearts. Now, this is where the analogy breaks down because God doesn't decrease in joy. He can't increase in joy. He just is joy. But our experience with Him decreases as our it corresponds to our obedience to Him. And so it is highly likely... Um, that if you are a joyless Christian, that it, it could very well be that you have taken your eyes off of Jesus and become a lover of self. And the joy is 
gone from your heart. So church, even, even in the most difficult of circumstances, uh, we should be known for our joy. We should have joy in our hearts, and, and you can't manufacture that. That's, that's it's, it's a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. So abiding in Christ and obeying Him, there's a joy that comes from it, knowing that we're in His will, knowing that we are in His love. But when we're not and we're disobedient to Him in these matters, uh, joylessness is definitely something that is, is seen and known in our hearts. But So the remedy for that is to repent and to, and to call it out like it is and say, Lord, I've been joyless and, and I've been disobedient in matters and, and, and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me as David cried out, right? And so if you're joyless, uh, put your eyes back on Jesus. You know, I had an um, awesome pastor, Pastor Pat Kinney. If you're listening, I love you, brother. Um, he was my pastor when I came back out of the world and very early in ministry. And one of the things I remember him saying when he was teaching on joy, he said, you know, the joy of God um, is manifested basically uh, when you put Jesus first, others second, and you last. And so there's that little acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. And if you get that out of whack, then you're not going to be experiencing the joy of God but isn't that true? Um, you put Jesus first, and then in, as you're looking at the Lord, you say, Lord, how can I love those around me with the love you've given me? And then, Lord, of course, you know, my re- requests are here. And the Lord will take care of you in that. But that joy from comes, being, comes from being wrapped up in the will of God. So Jesus says there in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And you have the promise of joy in there as that happens. Abiding joy. And now Jesus describes the ultimate expression of this love. If you're wondering what a picture of it is, he, he talks about the kind of love. I mean, our world is full of different kinds of love, and we, and we kind of have a messed up view of God's love. But Jesus gives a real clear picture here of the kind of love he is talking about. It's agape love in the Greek. In verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus' ultimate example of the kind of love that he is speaking about is a sacrificial love. And he would demonstrate that for them the very next day and that he would go to the cross willingly for them to redeem them. He laid down um, his life for them. And you have to remember, at this point, they are kind of they're sad, they're emotional, they're arguing about who's the greatest. They, they really don't get what's going on. But Jesus loved them anyways. He loved them through them all. He loved them, loved them uh, to the end, as John says in an earlier chapter. He says, uh, I think, uh, Romans 5, 6 through 8, we see Paul talking about this amazing, selfless, sacrificing love. Um, let me read it for you. Many of you know this. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you and me. So Jesus laid down His life for His disciples and 
for us, that selfless sacrifice that he made for you and for me. And that love has now made us his friends. I love that. It, it, it has drawn us into an abiding relationship. He sacrificed so that we would be with him, so that we would enjoy the fellowship that he has had with the Father from all eternity. And Jesus says to his disciples that they were now his friends, but there, was, there were conditions on that friendship. He says here in verse 14, look at this. He says, you are now my friends if you do what I command you. I don't know, it seems kind of harsh at, at, at the... Uh, at the beginning here, but do you see a theme? Jesus has conditions on the relationship we have with him, and it's all about remaining and keeping in his word, abiding in him, in what he says. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He just commanded them to love one another. And so you see the difference between a believer and a non-believer, the difference between a friend of God and an enemy of God is that a believer, a friend of God, they follow Jesus Christ. They hear his voice through his word and they obey, they follow. And I think you've seen this over and over here. The world does not seek to honor God through obeying Jesus Christ. They might have some kind of spiritualness about them, but they are not concerned with honoring the Father by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. And that is the kind of obedience we are talking about here. That is the kind of friendship that God is drawing us into. You know, the Apostle James, who in his letter is correcting people who thought that they could have a, a duplicitous relationship with God, he's correcting them in James 4.4, and he says, um, he has some harsh words for him. Actually, he says, you adulterous people. And the idea of adultery is that you're married to one, but you're with someone you shouldn't be. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world uh, is enmity or opposition with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In, in other verses um, in the scriptures, you see like you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't be friends with the world and friends with God. In other words, you cannot uh, go by the world's beat, the world's drum, what the world says about things and be friends with God. No, we get our commanding, our marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in his holy word. And there's no other way about it. He draws a hard line there. So that's what separates us, the, the true believers, from the false believers. We, we desire and we do love and obey Jesus Christ through his word. And Jesus says there in verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, and those are the true friends of Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. He says, here's the command, that you love one another. And so the true friends of Jesus love one another. That's, that's how we roll. That's what's going on. And it's because he saved us. He laid down his life for us. Because he first loved us, we now, in return, lay down our lives for one another. We love one another um, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We love sacrificially as he loved us. It's the fruit of our salvation. It's the proof that we're saved, amen? So Jesus says to those friends of his, he continues on in verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from you, uh, from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus lets his disciples know just how intimate their relationship with him is. Jesus says to them, you're friends with the master. Um, the same word for master is Lord in the Greek, kurios. So he's, you're, you're friends with the Lord. You aren't out of the loop anymore. I love that. Now, don't get the idea that Jesus is saying that, that we're somehow equal. No, he is still Lord. But, he, but the other parts of Scripture I love, they, they pointed out, is it's like we're now sons and daughters of God. We have a special abiding connection relationship with, with him. We're, we're in the loop. Amen. And so Jesus uses this picture of a master and a servant here uh, as a way of saying that Listen, the, the, for us, it might be the, the uh, owner of the company and the employer uh, and the employee. He says, listen, um, the owner doesn't, of the company doesn't divulge all the intimate details and the plans of the company just to anybody. But to his close friends, he definitely reveals those things. He, bound, he, he lets them know what's going on. And, and we see that in Scripture. He did that with the disciples. Jesus revealed the secrets of the kingdom to the disciples. Everybody else got parables. But to those who were his, the one, those who were in abiding relationship with him, he revealed the secrets of the kingdom to them. And by the way, as he revealed it to them, they took those teachings and now through them we see the mysteries of the kingdom as we see them in Scripture, as the Holy Spirit illuminates those things, those truths to us as believers as we take in his word. And so as believers, we have given insight into the mysteries of God. What a precious thing. We are friends with God. We are friends with Jesus Christ. Of course, that is contingent. <laughs> and it's all there saying, hey, if you... Do what I command you. He says, you're not only friends, but uh, you've been given the most intimate knowledge. And Jesus lets them know that this abiding relationship now is, is, is not only an abiding relationship, but it is absolutely according to the sovereign will of God. And this is, he's just revealing layers of just absolute blessing to them. This wasn't their idea. It was, uh, this was all according to the sovereign will of God, that they would be redeemed, that they would be brought in, they would have this abiding relationship, they'd be given the Holy Spirit, that God would dwell in them. This is all God's idea. And so he begins to show them this in verses 16 and 17. Check it out. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. A few things of importance here. The first is that Jesus chose the disciples. Jesus is the one who chose his disciples. It wasn't the other way around. Jesus found them. Peter didn't find Christ. Christ found Peter. And he called Peter to his side. He called his disciples to his side. And that's the same that, that we need to know. We didn't find God. 
We didn't find salvation. I know we say that, but guess who started it all? Guess whose idea it was that we find out after we find God? It was his. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And it was the good shepherd that came after us as we were wandering. Jesus found us. He sought us out. I love that. And the Holy Spirit convicted us through the preaching of the gospel, the good news. He convicted us of our need for Christ's righteousness, and He made us aware of the judgment to come. And there should have been a terror in our hearts as we realized that we, the unholy person that I've been, that you've been, is going to stand before a righteous and holy God, and He is not going to grade on a curve. And we need a Savior And we heard that Jesus Christ was sent by God because he is also a God of love. And God poured out his wrath upon his son that was due you, that was due me. And that through faith in that sacrifice on our behalf, we can go free. We can have peace with God. And that not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again. We believe that. That because he lives, we live. Now and when we die, we will be raised again. We will have eternal life. And so this beautiful picture of the gospel, we believe, but he found us. He chose us. He brought that to us and called us to this gracious salvation. Secondly, Jesus says that he not only chose his disciples, but he appointed them. And that word appoint has the idea behind it of he called out. He called them out. He separated them from the world. And actually, that's what the word church means. It means the called out ones. Uh, and I know there's a general sense and everybody says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to church and all that type of stuff as in the building. But no, the church is a people. And the true church are the people that have truly been called out of the world. They've, they've, they've called out to God for mercy and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he has made them born again by his, his spirit. He's washed away their sins and he's given them now uh, the Holy Spirit. God dwells within the life of the believer. And so we are the called out ones. We, are, we have been called, but we have been set aside. We have been set apart from the world for a purpose. And that's the third thing. Thirdly, Jesus called them and appointed them for a purpose. He called the disciples specifically. Uh, he says there uh, that he's going to call them out that they bear much fruit. And that's the point. Fruit that would remain, and that's exactly what they did. He called them, they went and preached the gospel, and throughout the generations we have heard their message, and those who have believed have eternal life. We're the fruit that remains for them. And God's purpose in their life was that we would be with Him forever. Isn't that awesome? We are the fruit that remains. So to the purpose in your life as a believer as you have been saved and you have been set apart, your purpose, having been saved from death and sin and judgment, is now to declare the Son of God, the Savior, to the world. That is the mission that you've been called to. That is your purpose in life, is to declare Jesus Christ, both through the preaching of your mouth and through the living of your life, And so participate in the gospel. Um, 
choose this day that I will be devoted to your mission, Lord. I abandon my mission. Um, I, I, I choose to follow you and your mission. And, and yet, wherever you put, cause me to work, wherever you cause me to be, wherever you cause me to go to school, wherever you, you cause me to suffer or to, it's all about your glory, Lord. I want to be a part of declaring Jesus Christ through the, through the preaching of the gospel and through the living of the gospel by our love for one another and our love for God. And that's the message we're to be a part of. And fourthly, as we are chosen, as we are appointed, and as we have a purpose to be declaring the Son of God to the world, to make disciples, we are to pray. Jesus says they're to pray. He says to ask anything, and I'll do it for you. And that's the context there, is that we're, we need to, that we can't do this in our, in our own power, that He is everything. He, we're a, our life is in Him. And so as we're about His will, we, we ask Him that it would be done. Lord, I've got to share with this person, and I'm, Lord, give me the strength, give me the words, and we ask and we obey and we do, and He does. He's so good, or whatever else it might be, even our, in our daily lives, we ask for simple things. And He is so good as a Heavenly Father to answer us according to his will. And lastly here, Jesus says in verse 17, he wraps it back around. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, the, the, the way that the world is going to see that Jesus Christ is, is alive is through our love for one another. That's our main witness. And so the way that we experience the love of God as believers is, is by our love for one another. Um, as we've all been given various giftings and manifestations of the grace of God and we love one another according to those gifts we pour out into each other's lives. And so the world will see our love for one another and go, wow, they really love God. This is genuine. This is true. And those God has called will come out and be set apart to him for his purposes and they will respond to the call of Jesus Christ to be his sheep and they will receive his cleansing and will receive his life and that abiding relationship will begin at that moment and will never end. And so as we close this morning, I want to just kind of encourage you this morning, abide in, abide in the love of God. Stay put. Continue on, continuing on in the Lord. Repent if you're a joyless Christian. Repent. Ask God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way that's in me. And, and confess it and get it gone and let the Lord restore the joy of your salvation. Obey Jesus in seeking out ways to love your brothers and sisters. Ask him, Lord, how can I love today? Lead me and guide me in it. And you'll be surprised that he's going to bump you into people and situations, even with social distancing, where you are going to be able to manifest the love of God uh, to your brothers and sisters and to the world around you, the enemies of God, right? Again, another exhortation, go to your Father in prayer and all these things. Go to your Father in prayer. We are not meant to do this in our own strength. Where God, what God calls us to, He supplies the power to do. 
And so we, we get everything from him, just as Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we can't bear any fruit by ourselves. So we're not going to be able to do any of this unless we connect and ask and abide in him. Be encouraged in that. And in, in, in lastly, realize that God has chosen you and appointed you to proclaim his son in all these matters, in these times that you find yourself in, where the world is being turned upside down in many ways, you have the rock of Jesus Christ to stand on. And I, I don't know about you, but you might, you might be a little bit shaken at this time. It's okay, the disciples were shaken, but you have a rock. You have the rock, the rock that everybody needs to cling to. And Jesus said there would be times like this. He said that, that uh, you know, the waves are gonna come, the storm's gonna hit everybody. But those who hear and do my word, they are the ones who have built their house on the rock and not on the sand. And that is what a believer is. And so be encouraged. Uh, you, if you're looking for the life raft, if you're looking for the solid ground, run to Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Give me wisdom. And realize that God has chosen you. I say all that to say in the circumstances where they we're in to proclaim his son through the gospel and by your love for one another this week. You know, may his joy absolutely be yours this week. May his love, um, his abiding love with you go to greater and greater bounds as you are attached to him. May his comfort just overflow your life as you rest fully in his ability to provide and to protect and to guide and to lead you this week in all matters. May his joy be yours and may it be overflowing. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much again for this opportunity to be in your word. The exceedingly great and precious promises that Jesus has given to us. And what you say is as good as gold. It is solid. There is nothing that can move it. By your word, the worlds are held together, and these words are just as true. They are promises for your kids. And if someone out there is never, ever, they don't have this, they don't know Jesus, they've never experienced that, if that's you, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin through all this that's going on, and you know that you will stand before a righteous God, know that that God who is definitely going to judge definitely sent his son to die for you and your sins if you would place your faith and trust in him to take away your sins and to give you his life. Call out to him now, and his promises are yours. And so, Lord, we ask this week that you would give us peace that passes understanding, that joy would be full, and that we would love as you have loved. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. You can see our Sunday message again next Sunday at 10 a.m., um, streamed on YouTube and Facebook. We'll also have some other things coming. Visit our website, ccfww.org. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Have a great week in the Lord. God bless.